Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here today. My name's Tanner, and generally, as many of you know, I am the junior high guy, not the Sunday morning guy, thanks. Uh, Yeah, every once in a while, our pastors take a major risk and let me come up here and talk, so um, if you are one of those new people to our church, I would encourage you to come back, hear our other pastors teach. I would like to talk about and begin with just saying, like, I've been so grateful these past few weeks uh, to hear our lead pastor, Pastor Dan, talking through eschatology, which if you uh, have been here, you know, but if not, it's the, the ideas and the conversations around what's going to happen at the end of the world, how the Bible portrays it, how Christianity believes our world is going to end, basically. And uh, it's been super great for me because I think just with the clarity that he's been able to teach it and just like knowing the facts on the ground and not like doing a whole bunch of speculating, it's really helpful for me and I think it's probably been helpful for many of us because I think that clarity for me, uh, it's not that I'm I'm always worried about what's going to happen at the end of time, you know, it's not like a constant worry for me. Some people it is though, but at the same time, like I was, I've told people recently, like the last time I got put under for a surgery, I was like writing a note to my wife, like, I love you so much. If I die, like, I'm sorry, I left my clothes on the floor, you know, like stuff like that. Like we, we do have worries about it and wonders about it. And I just think past few weeks learning about, you know, just, just the plain truth, the clarity with which our pastor has taught what's going to happen, what we can expect, and then just kind of leave the rest that can be speculated about. We can leave that behind, and it's just super helpful for me. The clarity, to me, helps me to not be so afraid, and I think that's um, why it's been nice to learn about it. So I'm not, (laughs) thankfully, I'm not going to carry on in that conversation. We're going to let Dan take care of that when he gets back, but um, just a few things that have been going through my head as I've been hearing him teach. Uh, The scripture we're going to read today has been in my head because, um, you know, we have been in a deep dive into all those things about what's going to happen at the end of the age, at the end of time, and when we die personally, and uh, those things are... uh, they're deep and they're hard and we should probably be struggling with them and like trying to find out what we believe about them. So today, um, the scripture that I've picked out that I feel God has given me to teach this morning um, is is quite a challenging one. It's one that uh, we're going to come back up to the surface in a, in a sense. We're not going to get so deep into things, but just take a bigger, broader look at our own faith. And, you know, with these thoughts in our mind about what we've been learning about with eschatology, it might be helpful. So my goal today, and uh, it's not necessarily my goal, but it's what I think the goal of the scripture we'll read is, is to get us to question our faith. Question it in a good way, okay? We talk about questioning our, people are questioning their faith, and it's like as if it, like everything is crumbling around them. Not always. Sometimes it's good, and you'll see in our scripture why I think so, that we need to question our faith from time to time. We need to question, you could put it, the path that we're on, the path that we're going down in life, and not the path that you were going down 20 years ago or 30 years ago, the path you're going down today is the one that matters. So like I said, uh, the scripture that we're going to look at today is a challenging one. It's one that will lead us to question the path that we're on. And for that reason, to me, it's quite terrifying. For me as a person, 
not, and not as a church leader or a pastor or anything, just for me as Tanner, I read the scripture and I'm like, okay, like this Jesus, he was not messing around. Like people ask these kind of halfway lighthearted questions to Jesus and he just like goes deep, like right off the bat, you know, and it's, it's good, uh, I think, that it's terrifying. I think it's good that it gets us to think about where we're, where we're heading. So I, as an individual, it kind of terrifies me and definitely as a pastor, it terrifies me as well. Um, one of the good things about the Bible, though, is that it is, I've read recently that it's the most realistic book when it talks about life in general. It's, it gives us the most realistic picture of how things actually work. And because it gives us a realistic picture, sometimes it's going to be like, oh, I didn't want to hear that today, or I didn't want to be challenged on that. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. So here is why. Here is, here is the why behind it being so challenging, the scripture we're going to read today. It's because in it, Jesus tells us that most people, when they meet him, will be in a state of confusion because of the path that they have taken in life. In other words, they will meet Jesus, and they will have thought they were walking the right path through life, and then find out in that moment that all along, maybe not all along, but when it mattered, they weren't actually. They weren't actually following the right path. They find themselves disillusioned, okay? That's, that's a word that it seems like a bad thing, but if we will find that if we can be disillusioned before we reach that point, it would be a good thing to take ourselves out of an imaginary world that where we think we're walking the right path when in fact we aren't actually, okay? So you probably are getting hints at which scripture I'm going to talk through. It's a very well-known one. Even if you aren't someone who's been a part of church for very long or ever in your life, you will recognize the words. But before we get to it, um, it's a bit like uh, this one thing that happened to me when I was in high school. Friends and I were coming back from a tennis camp in Bozeman, Montana, and we got burned by the pesky exit out of Billings to turn to go to Sheridan. Anybody else ever miss that exit? Okay, just a handful of us. If you're too prideful to raise your hand, that's okay. I would definitely not have risen my hand. Well, and I wouldn't have to, actually, because I wasn't driving. So I'm, I'm totally in the clear. But my friends and I, we were, I, I was too young to drive, actually, but an older friend was driving. And we were, yeah, go through Billings, and we're heading to Mile City, <laughs> basically. And, and eventually, uh, thankfully, like, none of us were questioning it, uh, it at all, but I kind of realized, like, we should be probably heading south by now, and we weren't, and then thankfully, we, because I, and I was a little embarrassed to, like, tell my older friend, because he's, you know, all that dynamic, and eventually I told him, like, I think we are, missed our turn or something, and we checked. Sure enough, we had. We were, ha we were heading to East Montana, um, just flying down the uh, interstate there, and it was because we questioned where we were going, that we actually got home eventually on time. Once we figured it out, we just picked the alternate route. You know, our phones are amazing and can tell us the fastest way back home, and we made it back home. Everything was fine, but if we had not questioned where we were going, we wouldn't have found out till we got to Mile City, and we would have been like, what? Like, this isn't Gillette, like, <laughs> which, yeah, it's very much not Gillette. So, um, it's... 
It's also, it's almost like, think if you're, you're going for a hike and you have a specific destination in mind, you have, a, you have maybe a peak that you're going to summit, and you start out at the trailhead, and as you're going along the way, you know, you might have your map or you might have an app on your phone that's telling you the right way, and you, you think you're seeing the right landmarks along the way, you're taking the right paths. When there's forks in the trail, you pick the right one, and eventually you get to the summit of what you thought was the right mountain, and you're expecting this great view of something, whatever it might be, and you realize you summited the wrong peak. And unfortunately for you, you can actually see across the way the right peak that you wanted to be on top of, and you realize, you know, I can even see people up over there. They're getting to enjoy that view that I wish I would have been getting to see right now. It's like your day has been a wasted trip though it probably wouldn't be if you're up on a mountain. Anyways, you get the analogy. Jesus is going to have his own analogy, which will be very helpful. But that's kind of the analogy I'm going to weave in as we go through. So if you would like to turn with me, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We're going to start in verses, verse 22. Little background. Here's, here's the problem I think that we all have. I think Christians today, just like the people we're going to read about, are often confused as to where they're actually going. We might carry around this like subtle pride that like, yes, I once 20 years ago prayed that I would uh, accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and yeah, I'm on the right path. I'm on the straight and narrow, right? That's the phrase that people use quite often for people who they see as doing the right things in life, following God and all that. And then Those people have their reasons for why they think they're on the straight and narrow. Well, I go to church, and I, you know, I volunteer every once in a while, and I did this for my old neighbor who needed their their sidewalk shoveled or whatever it might be. They've got their reasons for why they believe they're on the straight and narrow. And then those people, unfortunately, also are generally, and maybe it's good-hearted, they're concerned about the people who they know that aren't on the straight and narrow. They have their view of them, and they're like, well, you know, they do this and this and this, and uh, they're, yeah, they're just lost. They're not on the right path. They're on the broad path, as the scripture we will read says. And it's, it's tough, this teaching that we're going to read from Jesus, because um, he's, he's giving us this new picture of our situation where many of the people who think they're on the straight and narrow actually aren't, and then many of the people that those people think are on the broad path that leads to destruction are actually the ones that are on the, on the narrow path heading towards the kingdom of God. So we're confused is basically what he's going to tell us. We enter this story as Jesus is on his final journey into Jerusalem, and he's teaching along the way. So people, as I said earlier, often uh, very lightheartedly try to ask Jesus a question, and then he just drops truth bombs on them that they weren't expecting. So let's, let's read through this story together. Luke chapter 13, verse 22 says this. <clears throat> then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, here's the question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to be saved? So this question comes from a place of um, the, the predominant view at the time was taken by the Jewish people, the people who were the people of Yahweh, the people of God in essence. They believed and it was taught 
um, that most Jews were, could expect to be saved when the Messiah came. Most of them assumed and taught that most Jews would be saved. So that would be like saying, you know, most Christians thought that most Christians would be saved, okay? And uh, that was taught by their rabbis. That was a very common understanding that if you were Jewish, you were, if you were a part of that family, you were going to be saved by the Messiah. Only the people, only the Jews, pardon me, who had really, really messed up, who had really broken the law, who had really done things to separate themselves from God would be the ones who wouldn't be saved, okay? And then, in addition to those few number of Jews, no people who weren't a Jew were not going to be saved by the Messiah, right? Their view of justice was that God was going to wipe clean the earth and then just have the people who were God's people, the Jews, there. That was their understanding. But you, th you think about this, this person was likely a Jew, and they're asking, okay, why does Jesus have just these 12 people with him? He doesn't, he doesn't have as many people as I would think, because if we're thinking he's the Messiah and he's going to save all of the Jewish people, why is it just this ragtag group of fishermen and just kind of rough guys around him? And so he asks, are only a few people going to be saved? And you, you've probably heard people ask questions like this where they're, they kind of ask it on the, on the safe side, like, Jesus, are only a few people going to be saved? Assuming he's going to be like, no, all of us are going to be saved. You know, most of it, if you're Jewish, you're, if you're part of the family, you're, everybody's welcome. It'll be great. So maybe that's kind of the attitude this guy is taking. Like, if I ask him like this, maybe he'll give me the answer I like. And, oh, he does not know Jesus, does he? Verse 24, Jesus said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So here, here are those haunting words that I was talking about, the ones that, that begin to give me a little bit of uh, uncomfortable feeling inside me. It's lots will put forth effort to be saved but won't be. The key, Jesus says, is entering through this narrow door, as he says. So you, you compare um, those who make every effort to enter through the narrow door with those who try to enter. This is the same difference as someone striving to enter through that door and someone seeking to. Or another way you could put it is, I'm willing myself to enter through this door or I'm just wishing to. You know, that's a difference between actually going and uh, turning the knob and pushing the door open. Maybe you'd have to put your shoulder into it, into it too. That's willing to enter the door versus just, oh, I wish I could go through the door. You know, it's, there's a difference here that Jesus is drawing. You find welcoming in this kingdom through this door, or you just assume you're going to be welcome. That's the difference here. The word for make every effort to can also be translated to compete or to agonize. And so we don't like to think a lot of times about how it, like we are taught, and rightly so, that we can't earn our way into being saved. And that is true. However, there is an element to which we as Christians need to, we need to put forth some sort of effort showing that I want to get through the door, right? If Jesus says, this is the door I need to enter, we have to show and display to him that we want to. This is about using our free will that God gave us in the most 
purely appropriate way ever. You know, we talk about using our free will to do all sorts of bad things, but there are good ways to use it too, and this is one of them, to go and to seek out God in this way. So, yes, don't hear that it's something that you need to do and you need to check a box to earn your salvation, but we work together with God to find ourselves welcomed in. We need to see that we should compete and it's going to possibly be uncomfortable, and we'll read more about that in a moment, to agonize, to make every effort to, it doesn't, it's not a real passive, simple way to go about it, okay? It's going to take a bit of effort. I've heard it said that grace, and we could replace this word with salvation, salvation is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning, okay? Does that make sense? Like we, we can put forth a little effort and it not be us earning our way to salvation, okay? We can believe that it's Jesus who earns us our salvation and still put forth a little bit of effort to make sure we're connected with God in the way we're supposed to. That's how we are to find healing and salvation in Jesus. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, he says. Many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. I wanted to read the other place in Scripture. Uh, you don't need to go there where Jesus kind of uses this analogy, this um, idea. Once again, it's in Matthew chapter, chapter 7, verse 13. If you don't want to go there, that's fine. It's just two quick verses. He says there, in a different way, but the same at the same time, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. So that's kind of the parallel uh, verses to this teaching we're reading this morning from Luke. And uh, both of these scriptures use that word narrow. And and when we talk about a narrow gate and a narrow road, you get the image just based off what the word means to us, that it's, it's going to be a tight squeeze through there. You know, it's, it's going to be as if there's obstacles in our way making the way uncomfortable a little bit. It's a lot more like uh, walking along a game trail through, you know, the wilderness wherever you're hiking that's only this, this wide versus walking on a sidewalk on the side of the road. It's, it's the same idea. It's, it's going to take some deliberate, intentional steps to go along this narrow way as opposed to a sidewalk where you can kind of meander around and kids ride their bike on them and they're swerving back and forth. It's not that kind of narrow. And it's not also, here's something to note, it's not a narrow as in he's going to limit who can go along this narrow path and through this narrow gate. It's our choice to deal with the narrowness or to not. That is what limits the number of people. As Jesus said, many will try, but they will not be able to. It's, it's as if it's their choice, okay? I'm not going to go into like some crazy deep uh, analysis of what the gate and the path represent and all that, but we will just talk briefly because um, there is some pretty clear consensus among most people that I read about what the gate would represent, and it's our choice to first seek God's forgiveness and repent of our sins. That's kind of the first step that we ought to take on our journey with God, is to seek his forgiveness, realizing that we're sinful, 
and, and repent of those things. So that means we're not just asking for him to forgive us, but we're saying, I'm not going to do those things anymore. So it's repentance, laying down my judgment of what I think I deserve to carry along with me, what attributes I have, what things I want to do and say, and the ways I want to treat people. I have to lay those things down at the gate. I need to repent. Eugene Peterson has a great way of describing repentance. He says, the usual biblical word describing the no we say to the world's lies and the yes we say to God's truth is repentance. The no we say to the world's lies, the yes we say to God's truth. That's repentance, okay? It's, it's turning away and realizing that I've believed a whole bunch of lies going throughout my life. I've, I've lived a bunch of lies, and I'm going to say, no, I don't want to live with those weighing me down anymore. It's as if we've got, you know, a big old backpack with a hundred different pieces of gear and stuff we don't actually need. And at the gate, Jesus says, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that selfishness. You don't need that pridefulness. You don't need that way that you speak to people in this way. You got to leave those behind. We need to say no to those lies. Yes to God's truth. He says no to lies because our belief and understanding of God is that he gave us all our good desires, right? And um, that the narrow door will shed off those things, as I said. He's, he's, he's going to ask us to lay down some of the things that we think we, we should be, it's, it's fine to us. Like in our, our view of the world, these things that I might do and say and these, these ways that I live, they're fine to me. But he says no, and we've got to acknowledge that he is the one who gets to decide. If he is the Messiah, if he really is the one who God sent, God's own son, he knows what he's talking about, and we need to trust he's going to shed off the things that we don't actually need and, and leave us with those things in our pack that we, we do need and are good and are from a place of goodness that he gave us. He's the one who gave them to us. Let's go back to Luke's story, verse 25 through 27. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. Notice how he says, you guys, these people that ask the question. You'll, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Before I go into what we have been talking about, I think that we can look at scriptures like this and think Jesus is just a big meanie, like he's going to be the guy who just slams the door on everybody. But like, like I started um, today's talk with is we, we need to realize that this is a realistic view of life. And I think Jesus' heart is much more pastoral than it may come off to us, that he, he's saying, beginning of this story, Make every effort to go through the narrow door. Otherwise, this is going to happen, okay? So remember Jesus' heart through this. His desire is for everyone to be saved. But he knows us. He knows people. He knows what we're like. He knows how fickle we are and how, how often we can be led astray. And he is realistic about it. But he's saying, look, enter through this narrow door. So here's, here's something that I'll reiterate that Pastor Dan's been talking about these past few weeks. There's a limit on our ability to enter into the kingdom. There's a, a limit on our ability to enter into the, the kingdom of heaven that God is preparing for us. It's your death or Jesus' return. 
Those are the limits. One day we're all going to die or Jesus is going to come back. That is when we will make it to wherever we were heading, where our road ends, and we will find out which road we were on. That's the limits. And here he's, he's beginning this image of you, you walked up to a door assuming you'd be able to enter and the homeowner comes and closes the door and it's locked and, and you're thinking, wait, I, I thought I was on the right path. I thought I was here on time, you know, maybe to this party that you're throwing. So these people are thinking that they've done enough. Prior personal connection and knowledge or relationship beyond what many will think was enough is Jesus' basis for entrance into his kingdom. A higher level of connection and personal knowledge of each other between us and God is Jesus' basis for if we will enter in. It's, notice it's not, you know, uh, all these things that these people say they did. They, they fellowshiped with him. They learned from him. They, they, they were likely growing in what looked like their spiritual life. They were growing. They were learning from him. They were eating with Jesus. That's their claims. Those are the, their explanations for, look, I was on the right path. Some other places in scripture, it even talks about people who, who performed miracles in Jesus' name, and he will say the same thing to you. So we've got to understand that it's not doing all this stuff that makes us sure that we are on the right path. Though those things will likely come along with being on the straight and narrow path, it's not what will be the basis for entrance into his kingdom. You did all that your way, it's as if Jesus is saying. You chose the broad road, which asked little of you. And maybe some people, I think, they, they like the intellectual stimulation or they liked the, the, the feelings of goodness that they got from serving people and stuff like that that Christianity encourages us to do. But Jesus is, in essence, saying, like, you didn't do that for connection with me. You did that for yourself. They say, isn't this proof? And Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you or where you come from. That's the homeowner's explanation for why I'm closing the door, okay? We think we can think our way into salvation. I think a lot of times we reason it out in our mind that, yes, I'm on the right path, right? And, and then I, Jesus' story is telling us many who think those things are going to be disillusioned one day. They're going to find themselves confused that they didn't make it to the right place. And remember, all the while, Jesus is telling us this story because he does not want that to be us. He does not want that to be us outside the door saying, what, I did this and this and this. He, and he is, his desire is to know us as well. The way of Jesus Walking his way, the, the narrow path is one of relationship along the way, not just doing these things that make me look like I am on the right path. Verse 28, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. So Jesus rounds out his picture to explain 
Will few be saved or will a lot be saved, Jesus? It's a picture of a feast happening in a, in a big, probably a large, you know, house. And there's, there's bright lights and there's music probably and there's a whole bunch of food. And, and in God's kingdom, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob remember the Jewish people's like, wow, those are the amazing people that I want to meet someday. We talk about how we want to, you know, talk with our grandparents or people of great faith, the John Wesleys, the Martin Luthers, the you name it. You've got people in your mind who you're like, I want to talk to them when I get to the kingdom of heaven. And the Jews were the same way. They thought, yeah, someday I'll get to talk to Abraham and we'll get to talk about all the weird stuff that happened to him. And yeah, it's going to be great. And unfortunately, in this picture, Jesus is saying, they're going to be there. Yeah, but you may end up outside the gates if you don't enter it now. That's the image of a feast of joyful celebration of of all those who are found in Christ, in that relationship along the way. They've walked the straight and narrow. So while some or a few are welcomed in, many are left outside the gate to live in darkness and anger. That's what those weeping and gnashing of teeth means. And they're in isolation now. They're, they're kept away from the one that they now realize they wanted all along. They wanted to reach that one peak but they were going on a path to a different peak all along. They wanted to know Jesus. They wanted to have the sense of peace and, and love and uh, safety in their heart, but they, they haven't been actually following Jesus. They haven't actually been in relationship all along. And then to pour salt in the wound, he also adds that people will come from the east, west, north, and south to take their places at the feast, and that means the Gentiles, the people that the Jews thought, no, for sure, they're not going to be there. And Jesus says, no, look, many of those people are going to be at that table. You, however, who think you're on the right path, you're out, thrown out. That's an active verb, right? That's getting tossed out of there. And again, I reiterate, I don't think it's Jesus' desire for, to show us and show us that if we don't do it his way, he's going to throw us out. It's a warning, this passage is a warning to us to look at the path we're walking right now. Is it broad or is it narrow? Is it asking much of me or is it asking little of me? Because those things determine where it's going to lead me someday. The people who they thought would never, ever make it to the table, to the kingdom of God, they're sitting there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It would have had to have just been so disorienting to those people right there, the Jewish people thinking, what on earth? How are they going to make it there? But Jesus says, look, that's how it goes. I want to touch on that word destruction that was used in Matthew's version, just because it, it can be confusing from time to time, I think. So in 7.13 of Matthew, uh, that word destruction refers to not being put out of misery, not like ceasing to exist. That's not how we understand it being. It's, it's being wasted, that's the, that's the biblical idea of destruction. It's waste. It's losing all that gives meaning. So imagine the worst news that you could ever have imagined. Some of us have had bad news. And just re remember the feeling and take that, notch it up to the thousandth degree of how deeply disorienting and painful it would be. That is the thing that the Bible like describes as destruction and just knowing that you have wasted all that time all that energy all of your life you might have wasted 
with the analogy of the hike, you've wasted all your energy and time of day to try and get to the right peak, and you've wasted it. You have not met the one that you have not found yourself at the place you wanted to be. It's of waste. Basically, to end this uh, this picture that Jesus gives us, he he explains to us that we are real poor judges of who's first and who's last. And I think. As I was thinking through, you know, that that idea, indeed there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. It's 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 hard because I know that there are many in this room who who have gone through difficult things and yet are holding on to hope in Jesus. And that that from an outside perspective, I'm doing my best. And I would imagine that many of us in the room, many of you in the room, are walking the narrow path. And it's it's hard for me to think about the deep pain that you're experiencing on, along the way because walking the narrow path is uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that we're going to have just an easy route up to the top of the mountain, right? The people on the narrow path experience pain and difficulty along the way, and yet for those of you who keep on walking it, it is such an inspiration and such a thing that drives faith in younger people like me and people all around you. So keep walking the narrow path. If that's the path you're on and it feels like it's not worth it, keep going. I think that today many people who are on the narrow path leave it behind because they think the pain they experience along the way just isn't worth it. They roll their ankles and they get nicks and bruises, trees scratching them. And, you know, in life, it's, it's the difficulties, it's the great pains that we experience. And we've all got different ones. And some people, those things hit us and we think, you know what, this walking with Jesus thing, this narrow path thing, it's just not worth it to me. And I, w- I would encourage against that. I would encourage you, keep going. We're poor judges, though, of who's first and who's last. But we can take solace and we can be encouraged for those of us who are doing our best to walk the narrow path that one day all the wrongs that are happening right now will be righted. Those who, who may have thought and been told their whole lives they are walking the broad path to destruction, they might actually find themselves at the table. And so be encouraged by that. The last will take the seat at the table. So that's the heart posture that we can hope to have is we're going to keep on walking this narrow way. A couple things to close, just big ideas that we can take from this scripture. The first one is, surely the gate is narrow, but it's open. That's the key. You have not passed away, and Jesus has not returned as of right now. Therefore, the gate is open and able to be passed through. If you would just be able to. If you would think it through and look at the path you're on, maybe you aren't on the right path. The door is open right now for everybody. Not, not just for a certain few, it's open for everyone. So I would encourage you, if you have not entered through that gate, the narrow gate of repentance and finding forgiveness in Jesus, go now. You should not have a good, you don't have a good enough reason to wait, I will just tell you. Second thing is the way is tough, but it's passable. I think with the spirit of God's help that uh, he, he promises to offer us who try our best to walk the narrow path, it's, it's more than passable. As I said, there are people in this room who are walking along it right now. We know of many people from our community and all around the world. We hear stories of the people who have lived the, the life that they were supposed to. They've finished the race in biblical terms, right? It's tough 
and it's hard, and it can be seem like we're not doing the right stuff, and it, it's difficult and uncomfortable, but it is possible. The way is tough, but it's passable. We can make it to where we want to go. It's possible. Finally, the reward is momentarily foggy, but I think it's worthwhile. So with that analogy of, uh, like, hiking up the mountain, sometimes you, what you wanted to see was, was cover, is covered with fog, and you aren't exactly able to see what you wanted to see. But, and that's kind of how our view of, you know, this age, the, the kingdom of heaven, we only get a few glimpses of what Jesus, you know, describes it like a feast. It's a city that's a garden, and it's got a river running through it, and the streets of gold, all of that. We only get those glimpses that are small and they're foggy and we don't quite understand them all the time, but I think it's worthwhile just from reading what this book has to say and looking at what other people have said about, you know, just their walk, this side of heaven, what, what the reward must be like. I think it's worth, worth the journey, worth the trip, worth the pain along the way as well. Jessica, you could come on up. Oh, I don't know where you're at. There she is. Okay. Um, just to close, uh, I wanted to read one of the last things that Moses said to uh, the Israelites before. He, he allowed them to go across the Jordan into the promised land. Um, this, is a, this is a scripture that, which I didn't know, but it's often paired with the, the scripture that we read today, the narrow gate, the narrow path. And it's, it's really quite amazing. It's uh, so simple. I'll read it for you. It's Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, I set before you today, and Jesus set before these people life and death, blessings and curses. We've got just a couple of ways to go in this life. And, and I would urge you, as Moses did and as I think Jesus did, to choose the one that leads to life, right? I think that a desire to know God as... Um, in us all. He puts a desire in us for something, something to fill that spot. And I think the main thing that needs filled is a relationship with him. We need a, we need a connection to him. And that's what I would encourage you all to seek today. And just ponder these things, knowing that God is reaching out to you. He has been reaching out to you. And his desire is that all would go through that narrow gate. Okay. Thank you.